0: Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. Today, we're discussing the latest residential real estate data across Vancouver region for April 2022. We'll focus on the following three key insights. Conditions have shifted in Vancouver's housing market. The market may be softening, but it isn't soft. And buying intentions in Metro Vancouver remain robust. My name is Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and joining me as always is Ryan Berlin. Rennie's senior economist and director of intelligence, and Ryan Wise, our senior analyst with our Intel team. I'm also excited to welcome Ross Leighley. With over 13 years of industry experience, Ross has been with Rennie for over 10 years and is also recognized as a Rennie leader. Welcome Ross, welcome Ryans, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey there. Thanks, Justine.
0: Hey, so this is unseasonably wet for May. How are you guys all feeling about the weather so far?
1: I don't like
2: it. (laughs) (laughs) Same. It's freezing out there. Yeah.
1: Somebody I I was just meeting with said that this weather uh, is expected, by whom I don't know, to continue into July, which... I don't know if I can handle that. Oof! Yeah, I heard on the
2: radio a new term that I thought was funny. You guys have heard of January before and now they're
3: calling this one Mayember.
0: Oh my goodness. Ouch. My plants will not survive that.
3: I don't I don't actually have any outdoor plants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky for you. Just
3: very low maintenance indoor plants like jade and things like that. So oh, very make, nice. Make Suc- it easy for me. Suc- You're set? Set. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm a succulent guy. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to water them once a month.
0: That's that's great. So with that being said, let's get into our first insight. Conditions have shifted in Vancouver's housing market. The difference between the number of new listings and the number of sales is the largest it's been since the start of 2021. So can we explain what this means and why you're saying it represents a shift in the market roundwise?
2: Yeah, sure. So I mean, the weather hasn't shifted, but uh, the market has. So for this one, I'm going to steal Ryan Berlin's favorite analogy and use it, um, which is the bathtub. So you can think of the sort of relationship between sales, listings, and inventory as a bathtub. Water coming down from the tap is new listings coming into the tub. Sales are is the water draining out of the tub, and the inventory level is the water level in the tub. And so we're talking about is the how many new listings, how much water is flowing into the tub versus how many sales are happening, uh, how much water is flowing out of the tub. So not really talking about that inventory level for now. Um, And so we look back on this and we took every single day since the start of 2021, we sort of averaged it out to kind of smooth out the trends. Um, and what we're seeing is the difference between the amount of water flowing in the new listings and the amount of water flowing out the sales is the highest it's been since the start of 2021. So, right now, we're up to a daily average of over 180, meaning wow. on average, every day we're adding about 180 new listings more than we're seeing sales. And that's really what's sort of driving the shift in the market. For quite a while in 2021, it was actually negative. So, there, there we ended up at such a low inventory level, a low water level in the tub, uh, because sales were outpacing listings so much quicker. And now we're seeing a real reversal of that trend. It's been sort of happening for a few months, and there's a couple things sort of playing into that. Um, the first being the amount of new listings has really risen in the last few months, um, and for quite a long time, sales were really steady. Um, but in this past month, sales have kind of softened a bit, and we'll get to the sales story a bit later in insight number two. Um, But those two things combined, we're really seeing a big difference between the number of new listings coming to market versus the number of sales happening. And that's what's bringing our inventory level back up towards sort of a long run average. We have a ways to go. And again, we'll get to that in insight number two, but Mm -hmm. we're really seeing a shift in terms of how much of the difference that's happening between those two metrics.
1: Is that consistent with what your, your clients are saying or what you're hearing? yeah you know it's definitely
3: individual listing you know listing a property they you know timing has to work for them but the past couple months has been very good timing to list a home so that certainly looking at that now now is the time you know you're not going to be listing the summer months when usually it's a little bit slower Um, we know a lot of people
2: are we're in this crazy market we're waiting to list until after they bought and so as more people were able to find a home the last few months that like do you have any clients who were able to finally secure the place to buy and so that allowed them to then finally list their home
3: it's actually usually the opposite from from my side there's i don't have that many clients that are doing that right now uh just depends on the property too you know Mm -hmm. if you're you're talking to something that's very desirable yes that would be the strategy for sure but you always want to Guard against uh, potentially, you know, not selling your existing home mm-hmm. um, if you've purchased something. So if you have the right property, definitely that's the right strategy. Look for something else because it's hard to find. But uh, if if you don't have something that you think will sell or you're not willing to price it low enough to sell that quickly, then I would sell first and push for a longer closing, that type of situation. So you have that flexibility, you know, potentially a rent back or there's, there's a lot of other ways you can structure it.
1: Yeah, we've been hearing these um, uh, subject to purchase um, clauses being added, right? I have seen sellers. that, especially
3: older sellers. Definitely right. see that. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody that really is concerned about where they're moving to next, and that you know, with the lack of listings, we've seen it is a, a very big concern for people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What other metrics are telling us that the market is shifting?
3: So there's a few other things
2: that we're looking at that I think are kind of telling us the same thing. Um, So one of the big things is what we watch the benchmark price. So the benchmark price, uh, as we've talked about before, is calculated. It's a big algorithm done at the board where they use an index based on the sort of typical home in an area and they do a moving average and it's all compiled in a way to sort of account for um, what homes are selling in, in a month. Uh, so it's a bit more of a smooth average than say a median or an mm-hmm. average sale price. Um, and so we've been watching the sort of year over year benchmark price changes, and we've been talking for a while about how much they're up over last year. So in April, the benchmark prices were up 25% over last April. It's really high, but when you compare the year over year changes from last month, the month before, the month before that, et cetera, you see that there was a huge run up from the End of last year through into March, and it actually peaked in March, and it has come down a bit in April. So, prices are still up twenty five percent year over year, but in April, or sorry, in March, it was up twenty eight percent. And so, it looks like maybe prices are starting to crest. They're still really high. They're still up year over year, but maybe there's that sort of early signal Mm -hmm. that something is changing as as sort of buyers are have a few more options and are, are able to. Um, not sort of bid up as many properties. Maybe there's fewer multiple offers, things like that.
3: We're seeing that in, you know, other parts of Canada, you know, even in like Ontario, for instance, they're seeing, you know, five to 10% median price reductions over the last couple months. Mm-hmm. So was that a signal to us that it's going to come this direction? Maybe, maybe not, right? We're, we're a different market, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, you just, you, you get the sense as well. This isn't this isn't rooted in the data that the, the tolerance for continued... Um, price escalation given where prices already are is um, is pretty minimal I think Um, I think there's probably uh, listen to the data guy talk about uh, (laughs) uh, FOMO here but uh, I think I think that there is um, I mean and and Ross like fill in the blanks here or or check me if I'm off in your mind Um, but it seems to me that there's less a little bit less urgency to make a move now for fear of you know being unable to afford something you know in one two and three months so Mm -hmm. i think maybe there's a little bit more um a little more discretion um entering the equation here a little more patience on the part of buyers
3: yeah it's you know a little less fomo more you know fear of paying too much almost Mm -hmm. in in the next couple months do you want to pay at the height of the market or do you want to pay in three months, when you know prices come down, yeah, and
0: I think that I think that is um, a common fear right now of everybody thinking that they might pay too much. And of course, with the interest rates uncertain and potentially going up even more, uh, everybody's kind of taking a backseat and just seeing what's going to happen.
2: So one of the ways we were trying to sort of look at this and see if we can measure some of this was we went and looked at how many sales were happening uh, above the asking price. So we know, of course, we've heard tons of stories about how many people are paying X over ask and how how much those ask prices are now starting prices as opposed to you know the start of a negotiation right. with so many off- multiple offer situations And so while we don't have the data to necessarily track how many properties are selling with multiple offers we can track what's selling relative to the ask price and we've seen that that is actually crested too that crested uh, about february was the peak for the percentage of homes selling above asking price so when back in february it was of all condo sales were above ask, 76% of townhomes, and 58% of detached homes. Um, And so now in April, it's down to 43% for condos, 46% for townhomes, and 38% for detached. And so I think we're seeing two things here. One is it's really coming down, but two, Mm -hmm. it's also a lot of properties are still selling above ask. So I went back and looked at 2020, which of course we know is a very slow market for comparison. Uh, and it was 12% for condos, 15 townhomes, 21 detached. So we're not back at sort of, you know, pre 2021 levels of, of this phenomenon. And, you know, 2019 are very slow market. It was, uh, less than 10% of properties were selling over ask price. So it's. It's still happening, and I, I wonder if pricing strategies have changed a bit. And Ross, I'd love to get your opinion there, but we know that it's fewer properties than it was a few months ago.
3: Yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing. Um, a little less price baiting from you know mm-hmm. listing agents and coming way under the real value of the property. There's still strategy to come in slightly under, but it's usually with the last comparable a lot of the time, and that can be a sale as far back as December,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: mm-hmm. all of a sudden you know, it's still worth that more than that today, but you can't really justify listing it that much you know, under that price. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, this home comparatively probably is maybe worth $1.5 million. Are we seeing that it's selling for what it's worth or over asking?
3: No. Yeah, usually over um, to a certain extent. You know, it's more people in the months p- past were, you know, losing out on properties and they were willing to go, you know, push it that much higher. Um and we're still seeing prices come above ask definitely, but fewer buyers willing to compete is the main thing. You know, mm. we see you know a property that maybe would have had six offers has two, you know, on their offer date. So still thing.
2: a multiple offer situation multiple but not offers, the same yeah. level of pressure. That's, That's right. So, do you? What do you think are the some of the pros and cons of the the pricing strategy of trying to come in a bit lower versus if, coming? If in a you bit come, higher? it
3: depends on the property. But if you come in too low, you just kind of annoy all the buyers, and hmm. mm-hmm. you know, ones that are have been looking for a while, they just think, okay, well, why bother on this one? Um, it's going to go way over that number, and I can't even predict what it is. And even the agents are having an, a hard time because there's not enough co- comparables for them to look at to indicate a real selling price, it becomes a bit emotional. Um, Now a bit less of that, which is nice to see in the market, less of a a price baiting underpricing to a significant amount. There's still a little bit of that ongoing, but uh, less overall, I'd say.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. the, The price baiting or listing very low is almost like setting it up like an auction with a reserve value, right? And you really don't know. You just sort of set this baseline value to attract attention Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't know where the value is going to go. And that's definitely a different kind of, <laughs> the <laughs> problem is there, there is no reserve though, so they're not willing
3: to take that price. They want their price, which ends up being, you know, if they don't get what they want on the offer date, then relist at a higher price, you know, a week later, something like that. That's, that's pretty common these days too. Hmm.
0: And it's, it's hard for buyers to understand, right? Because when they're putting an offer and some things asking a certain price, they're thinking, well, I'm giving you the price that you want, right? Why aren't you taking it? Um, and it's hard for them to understand why you would somebody would, want to, would price bait like that. Um, so it is tough on both sides.
3: Yeah, and that's where it comes down to you know using your realtor and getting the right exactly. information, the right advice from them mm-hmm. before you even start the process. Really, you know, there, there's so many scenarios that we have to deal with these days. It, it's worth it to have a long conversation. You know, maybe even a couple different conversations on the way the offers work and the in terms of the. Um, in terms of the offer date you know how that would work what the good offers are going to be what is reasonable to expect in that situation and even you know what uh, actions are you going to take right before the offer time because there's you can change things to the to 11th hour mm-hmm. you know and that may affect what you're you may be able to get a subject in there at the 11th hour it's it's hard to say mm-hmm. you know it, every every property is a bit different but there's uh you know, different circumstances. Sometimes people will be not willing to compete and you can jump in there and throw in a subject of financing or inspection and be able to go through those conditions.
0: Have you experienced, um, with your own clients, people finding out that maybe there's like four offers on the table that they're just like, Hey, you know what? There's so many offers. I'm not going to compete. I just don't even want to put an offer in.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. That that's pretty common as well. That people, you know, the, especially now, I think we're seeing more of that people not wanting to compete, you know, wanting to see how the market plays out over the next few months.
0: And that brings us into insight number two. The market may be softening, but it isn't soft. So the stats show us that total sales in Vancouver region were down 30% in April compared to March. So Ryan Wise, this is a pretty steep drop in a single month. Can you tell us what's going on?
2: Yeah, sure. So I think it's important that we, you know, as always, we add sort of that context around what's happening with the numbers. You know, we Intel we like to choose our language carefully. We probably wouldn't make great headline writers, Um, but the reality is that we're coming from just such a busy market that these these larger drops really represent sort of a back back to the the long run average. So, yeah, total sales were much slower in April than in March, but the reality is that the almost 5,000 sales we had were 1% below the past 10 year average. So really we return to a typical monthly average for sales. So it feels so much softer or slower to people working in the market, people looking at the market, Um, but that's really more of, okay, that's what happened last month. Last month was really busy and this most recent month was again, quote unquote typical from a sales perspective. Um, So we wouldn't characterize it necessarily as a soft market. Um, we're, We're watching the daily, The daily feed. So, you know, May is off to a bit slower of a start as well. We'll see as these shifting market evolves. Um, you know, I think it's, it's pretty remarkable. The last time that we saw monthly sales that were below the past 10 year average for that particular month was way back in June, 2020. So, at the tail end of that sort of original COVID lockdown, was the last time that we saw below average monthly sales. It's just been mm-hmm. so far above average for 21
1: consecutive months, almost two years. So, also on the pre-sale side, we know the market's been uh, quite active, at least to date in 2022. The first quarter in the first quarter of the year, so January through March, I think there were close to 7,000 pre-sales regionally, which put it on par with the quarterly average of 2021 which was a record year and then we don't have data yet on the market for um, April what well, we do know here at Rennie our our team has uh, sold as many almost as many pre-sale homes in April as we did in all of uh, 2019 <laughs> so
0: crazy! Wow. it's been
1: it's been very very busy yeah yeah and I think it reflects you know why we we are seeing conditions shift for sure it says that Um, there are still a lot of people, um, who are, are quite keen to participate, uh, in our market in some way, whether that's resale or pre-sale.
2: Yeah. And I think it's worth adding again, we talk about that inventory levels. It's still very constrained. So at the end of April, it was almost 13,500 homes for sale, which is up substantially over the last few months. Um, and as of recording, we just hit 14,000. Very exciting. Mm. Uh, yeah. wow. But that's still constrained inventory. That's still 14% below where it was last mm-hmm. year. That's still 25% below the long run average. So while the supply is growing, things are changing. The reality is we're still at constrained inventory. And we we still haven't come anywhere near a balanced market yet.
0: So maybe we want to pose a question to Ross to see if maybe his, he's been seeing a shift in his clients' Um, preferences, perhaps taking a look at uh, pre-sale inventory as opposed to just the resale aspect of things.
3: Yeah, pre-sale seems just as busy as ever. You know, looking at all the different uh, municipalities in the area, you know they're they're still doing the lineups. They're still doing, you know, mm-hmm. um, they're doing the uh, uh, like expressions of interest forms. You know, that's that's pretty common still, and. Uh, you know, we're getting back right into it where they're doing appointments. It's a little mm-hmm. less of a jam-packed presentation center these days. You know, they're doing more individual appointments. Which is probably um, good. There's still a yeah.
2: pandemic yeah. ongoing. <laughs>
3: yeah. It's nice for everybody involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you get a little more one-on-one time, so that's always good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, it's you're still looking at appointments, appointments being scheduled two weeks after you call. You know, you can't just show up yeah. in a couple days. And then, you know sales launches a few weeks later, and things still clear out pretty quick, especially the affordable inventory or investor inventory or you know that, that right stuff for the first-time buyer, that type of thing. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, speaking of that sort of more affordable inventory, we were looking at the, um, the sales to listings ratios this month to see how they've changed as, as, you know, we're talking about the shifting market. So they they have come down quite a bit, but we're still in sort of what we call deep seller's market territory. Um, so they're down to 25% for detached, 44% for townhomes, and 48% for condos. And again, to remind everyone that anything above 20% is considered um, a seller's market territory. But to your point about the price points, uh, we looked at it and we sort of priced bands. So we broke up all the inventory in the region. This, again, this is for resale. Uh, anything under $1 million, sort of the average or the total sales to listings ratio is still 52%. Is still incredibly high, uh, and for 1 million to 1.5 million, you know, it's, it's only down to 40%. Um, and then it isn't until you get to those higher price properties where you get closer to, to sort of that balanced market territory. So, you know, to your point, it's this, um, more affordable product. That's still really flying off the shelves, still really hard to get at.
1: And I think as long as, yeah, I think as long as those conditions in that segment of the resale market remain can we say objectively constrained in that way where conditions mm. do so clearly strongly favor sellers. I think as long as that, you know, persists, we're going to see continued interest in pre-sale because it's just a different experience, right? Yeah. Buying the home. I think, um, you know, there's a bit less, um, <laughs> it's less of an emotional roller coaster, perhaps participating in pre-sale than, than it can be in resale. Um, although the inventory isn't, vast in pre um, you know, at least you, 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 there's a little more certainty if you're able to get a seat at the table, so to speak, and, and, and able to, um, you know, quote unquote offer on a home, you know, it's, it's essentially, it's at that point yours. And you're looking at closing, you know, not
3: this summer, yeah, not right. next yeah. year, right. potentially two or three years down the line, which is, you know, maybe, maybe we see some changes in interest rates at that point, you know, when you, when you actually have to close on the property.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. a long run. Type of outlook.
2: So do
3: you have any clients who were maybe
2: originally looking at resale, uh, couldn't maybe find what they liked, you know, wasn't working for them and they turned to the pre-sale market to just meet their needs?
3: I do. Yeah, I'm actually working on something right now. Uh, clients live in, you know, Falls Creek area. They've uh, been looking for a number of months and just decided, you know, after a trip back home to the Okanagan, have decided to buy a pre-sale in the Okanagan. So a bit, yeah. a bit of a big change for them, but uh, price wise, it gets them a family home instead of a little one bedroom,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: um, the process is a lot easier because the home is available.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: they can they have the decision whether they want to move ahead or not. We have the seven day rescission period, so you know they can do all their due diligence within that time frame, get their deposit organized, and you know they wanted uh, a little longer timeline in the end because they have to move. So it makes a lot of
1: sense for them. Yeah. It's a good point you made, though. Actually, as well, I think a, a feature of pre-sale that often gets overlooked is the mandated, I mean, essentially cooling off period, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, that the government, the provincial government, is talking about implementing in resale. But when you buy pre-sale, you do have a, the opportunity to walk away and, you know, maybe rerun your numbers and think it over a little bit more and decide whether it is the right, the right, the right purchase for you.
0: Yeah, I think the difference though between the pre-sale and the resale is that. On the resale side, you have the sellers waiting to sell their property and then waiting to make that next move, right? On the pre-sale aspect, you have the developer. They're not going off to, you know, waiting to sell this so that they can buy something else. So there's definitely a different perspective when you're talking about the cooling off period for pre-sale versus resale.
1: This is where I want to know how many deals go in go subject free, because that's really all that is relevant when talking about the application of the Mm -hmm. cooling off period Mm -hmm. in resale. Um... I think maybe in a you know at the height of this market the, um yeah the percentage of deals that were going subject free was probably at an all time high. Yeah, they're
0: competing for yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. so
1: like the multiple yeah, and you know maybe the multiple offer scenario is a decent pro or um, data is a decent proxy for subject free because you're you know you know it's a way to compete. Um, uh, it's not directly on price, but then otherwise. You know, I guess in a more balanced market, you're, you're just, you see subjects, right? Typically, um, yeah, even if it's definitely. as simple as an inspection where you don't have, there's no, nothing objective that you need to, uh, like a binary, um, I guess with the financing, like the seller can hold your feet to the fire, right. And say, show me that you weren't approved. Yes. Yeah. Technically, but the inspection that you throw that in there and you can walk away for any reason you want. Right. Pretty much. There's, you know, a lot of the time people put in a
3: small monetary amount in the inspection you know if it if there's some sort of defect that's right under that amount you can't walk away but not always mm. you know it depends on the wording of of the clause that you put in um, years ago we would see even in a busy market you'd see a few subjects go in and they would just be a little faster so you know whether you were doing an inspection in a day or two it, financing if you were teed up you could be you know a few days potentially or you know potentially a, a, a pre-inspection too so mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of little things that did happen in years past, where we didn't we didn't really see that the last uh, year and a bit, right. just because the market was so heated. But uh, but yeah, before we could do that, maybe in the future, maybe the next little while, we'll be able to do that again, where we can at least have favorable conditions, but you know something that protects our clients.
0: Yeah, I think I just want to make it clear. I feel like subject-free has a very bad name to it, Um, even though, yes, it is very risky. Um, Of course, if you don't do your proper due diligence and you're not properly advised. But that being said, a lot of times people do write in subject-free offers that do have the opportunity to do their due diligence. So... Know, review all the documents beforehand, do the pre-inspection, speak their fo- to their financial advisor, make sure that they are pre-approved for this specific property. So there is a lot of work that goes in from the realtor's perspective and the buyer's side as well, going into a subject-free offer. So it's not just going in blindly, writing something, having no idea what they're buying at the same time. So I think there's you know two ways of looking at it, depending on which approach, obviously, that you take, or if you're given the opportunity to do so.
1: For That's sure. a really good point. Yeah, that there's prudence there's often prudence in in offering subject free. It's yeah. uh,
2: though I think w- one of the challenges is how expensive those pre-inspections can be if you're going into again this this crazy market where there's 20 other mm-hmm. uh, offers coming in and if you're doing a subject free offer, you know, 15 times before you find a place, having to do 15 pre-inspections sounds pretty pricey. No,
0: but you have to also think in perspective, you know, uh, how much an inspection is perhaps considering how much, yes, you might spend on it, but also that amount of money could save you a ton of money in the future. So Oh, absolutely. Right? You don't want to end yourself into hot waters because you already spent so much money previously and then you wanted to save this few hundred dollars this Mm -hmm. time that could land you into something that could be, you'll be way over your head on.
3: Yeah, you always, uh, inspections are something I always recommend. 100% of the time, even in, you know, pre-sale, you know, obviously it has to be more further along in the line. So a newly built home, You still want to do it then too, Mm -hmm. even though you have your warranty, there's situations where you might, you know, I've had clients that come in and, you know, some of the wirings all been done wrong in the appliances and things like that. Little things that, you know, you just aren't going to notice when you, when you just try it yourself and, and, uh, an inspector's going to catch that.
2: Mm -hmm. I like going through with the home inspector and watching the whole process unfold.
0: Yeah. Or come in near the end and they, you know, give the opportunity to review what they found as i also give you another chance to have your eyes on the property again to just ensure that everything seems okay. So this brings us into insight number three, buying intentions in Metro Vancouver remain robust. The stats show one-third of recently surveyed residents plan to buy a home or investment property in the next six months. So this question for Ryan Berlin, without, you know, obviously doing or have done the math, it sounds like it translates to a lot of potential market activity down the road. Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, given current conditions, I think that that proportion, a third of, of, of people indicating that they plan to be active in the market in the next six months is is something. Um, we also know that six months ago, uh, that proportion was a little bit lower, um, instead of 33%, it was 31%. Um, and so, yeah, where, where do these data come from? So. Um, the past year we've been working with uh evie mustel and her company mustel group uh they're a a local uh research company um and they conduct surveys in addition to other things um and so we asked them to uh, survey local residents on their perception of the market just so we have a better understanding of um some of the so-called whys behind our market so Most times on this podcast, we are talking about things like sales and listings and prices, those classic housing market metrics, if you will. Um, And those are the what's of our market. Um, And those things like understanding those things help us paint a picture of what is Mm -hmm. happening within our market, but doesn't tell us a lot of uh, about why things are happening. In previous podcasts, we've also talked about some of the whys that we track, so things that are outside of our formal real estate market, like mm-hmm. immigration, interest rates, um, uh, interventionist, you know, government policy, incomes, things like that, inflation. Um, some of those constitute, you know, the whys behind the whats. It helps us understand, you know, why sales are going in a certain direction, and and same for prices and same for listings. Of course, there are other whys that are harder to pin down. Um, Things like how do consumers or residents feel about the market? What are their intentions in the market? Um, what concerns them? Where do they see opportunity? That kind of stuff. And that doesn't show up in the traditional data sets. Um, and so we're usually left to infer the answers to those things based on what actually happens, right? So you know, that's why we partnered with Mustel Group um, mm-hmm. beginning last year was to directly ask some of those questions and to understand where where people's heads were at collectively, you know, to say it, you know, colloquially Mm -hmm. just to understand, you know, what some of those intentions were and looking forward, you know, what are, what are the things that the average person is kind of, you know, considering when contemplating participating in the real estate market. So out of our most recent survey, which was conducted in, um, April of this year, so last month, um, and we surveyed 800 people throughout Metro Vancouver, um, there were a few um, takeaways um, that that stood out to us one is that um, there are still more potential buyers out there than there are potential sellers which says to us you know we know that you know about a third of people say that they intend on um, purchasing real estate either as a you know principal residence or as an investment property mm-hmm. in the next six months um, that percentage is higher than the number that um, indicate that they plan to sell, which then says to us that there may be continued interest in the pre-sale segment of our market. Um, there are, when we ask about people's uh, financial situation looking ahead, um, usually people are pretty optimistic, honestly, about the <laughs> future when it comes to finances, just mm-hmm. on the whole. But compared to last fall, when we first did this survey, we found that fewer people were optimistic about their financial situation um, in the year ahead. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that ties in with, um, the expectation that, and that's sort of the, the third big takeaway, uh, this expectation that interest rates are going to continue to rise. Um, the vast majority of people see that as being a given and they see it as being a real negative, um, for themselves. And, you know, we, we can, we can guess at why that might be the case. Um, you know, certain investments might not perform as well, but, but I think people see that relationship between their biggest investment often, which is their home, and the impact on its value that rising interest rates might have. So um, does that sort of like, um, <laughs> you know, basket of perspectives essentially reflect what, you know, um, your clients are communicating with you? Is there concern about uh, rising interest rates from a housing market perspective or a broader financial situation absolutely yeah for sure
3: um we're still seeing you know people ready to buy but they're taking that cautious approach um long term they're looking at is it's still a good buy you know it's still the right place to buy and uh mm-hmm. you know they're optimistic about the future but short term less less so for sure um and that that data just shows to me like we're still going to be in the same situation over the next uh, little while the short term it's going to be a dip- disproportionate level of you know buyers to listings and uh So we may see, you know, either a similar price point stay there, stay where it is, or maybe, maybe even a bit of an increase again over the next little, the short term. Do you have buyers
2: or clients in general who are maybe sort of redoing their budgets right now and saying, okay, I gotta pencil in for higher interest rates or more for groceries or for gas or some of this inflation stuff? Are are people coming to you and saying, you know, let's redo our budget because things have changed a little
3: bit in the last year? Yeah, few months. certainly they're they're going back to their brokerage brokers and uh, you know, looking at what uh, if they ever if they need to re-qualify, if they need to uh, just reevaluate where mm-hmm. their pre-approval is at. And, uh, you know, when they should get that pre-approval because we've got, you know, looming rate hikes coming at some point, you know, potentially
1: next early next month as well. So do you have, if you had to, if you don't know, if you had to guess amongst your, you know, some of the clients that you're, you're working with would be buyers, um, you know, is there is there a preference right now for uh, fixed mortgage rates versus variable or is it sort of split down the middle? It's, that's a
3: tough one because fixed now
1: is quite elevated and
3: mm-hmm. uh variable seems like the way to go but you know with the potential for it to go up know, variable seems a bit frightening um but are you going to lock in at that high fixed rate right now mm-hmm. you know that that's that's a tough one you know that's where you have to talk to your mortgage professional and get their advice on it because that's
1: You know, I I have my opinion, but uh, it's not
3: always uh, what they would say, Sue. Well,
1: it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You don't know, it's only once you have the benefit of hindsight too, that you know which decision would have been objectively the right one. I guess part of it just comes down to um, essentially how risk averse or loving you are. Like, can you, are you comfortable watching, monitoring your variable rate mortgage on a weekly basis or monthly basis versus just saying, hey, I'm paying a higher rate for my fixed rate mortgage, but... I know it's not changing for whatever five years. Yeah, that wasn't a hard decision to make
3: in the past. You mm-hmm. know, with the mm-hmm. low interest, the low fixed rate. You're saying, well, that's great. I'll just lock it in. <laughs> no, there's no real debate there. Um, but today, that you know, that is a that's definitely something you have to mm-hmm. think about and uh, get the right advice yeah. on.
2: You can also evaluate your term too. You know, the mm-hmm. the fi- five year fixed rate has always been the most popular uh, mortgage in Canada, but there's you know two and three. Four-year options as well. I wonder if more people are going to look at those and say, you know, I think interest rates are going to go up in the next couple of years. But beyond that, we'll see. So maybe the two or three years better for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on which property you're buying, right? If you're tending to live in there for a long period of time or if it's just a transitional home for yourself. Mm-hmm. So that could also mm-hmm. depend on your how long you want to lock yourself in and yeah how risk adverse you are if you want to know every month my payment's going to be this much or i'm happy with it being a little bit lower for you know an uncertain amount of time and then paying a little bit more later on
3: how long are these broader geopolitical influences going (laughs) to affect our yeah exactly our our market (laughs) great question The other thing about this survey
2: data, um, 45% of respondents say they expected these higher rates to impact, negatively impact their personal financial situation over the next 12 months, which is less than half of people. So that other 55% is either people without mortgages or people locked into fixed rates that don't have to worry about it for 12 months. So, you know, again, back to this idea of these rate hikes don't affect everyone equally Mm -hmm. or everyone at the same time.
0: Yeah depends on where you're at uh, Mm -hmm. in the process. If you're about to renew or if you're just locked in and you don't plan on, you know, buying or selling anytime soon, Mm -hmm. you still have some time. So I'll be really curious to see how things will change and progress in, you know, next month's podcast. But, uh, I want to bring the question to you, Ross, do you have any advice for any potential buyers or sellers looking to buy or sell right now?
3: Yeah. You know, further to the, you know, the changing market and, uh, what we've seen previously i think the most important thing for a buyer is when you're looking in a very popular market very popular area you know get educate education from them you know speak with them have several conversations about how the how the process works with multiple offers the offer deadlines you know what you can change what you may be able to get away with in terms of subjects um, you know how to make your offer better you know, little things can make a big difference. Um, and even being able to be flexible on the fly with uh, with when we get to that minutes before the offer deadline, you may want to change something. You may want to change your price. You may want to change your conditions. Um, that that would be something. Just understanding that process is, is very important uh, for a buyer.
0: Good insight. And if buyers or sellers uh, potentially want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can reach you at?
3: Um, you can look at our, my website uh, it's renee.com slash Ross I'm on Instagram uh, Twitter uh, my Instagram handle is uh, Ross leley underscore van real estate and uh, but easily google my name I'm I'm probably the the only Ross Leathley out there. <laughs>
0: Amazing. So in today's podcast, we cover three main insights. Conditions have shifted in Vancouver's housing market. The market may be softening, but it isn't soft. Buying intentions in Metro Vancouver remain robust. Thank you, Ross, for joining us today. This wraps up our episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out our latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennycom intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox, register for intelligence updates. Ross, again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Ryan and Ryan. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on Rennie.com.